Hello and welcome to Intune, the Scottish Music Centre's podcast series. My name is Keith Beattie and today I was speaking to Glenn Gibbons, who's the co-founder and director of Soma Records in their 30th year as a label. How are you, Glenn? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you very much, Keith. Yes. Good. Good to see you. Thanks for taking the time to do this with me. No problem. It's great. Um, and just going right back um, to your sort of background, what was it like for you, like any music? What was the starting point for you? Um, so when I left school a long time ago in the 80s, um, I worked in a record shop, Fop Records, in fact, um, when it was just a, it was a, it was basically a stall in, in um, uh, the Courses Arcade. There was one in there, and then there was one in the Savoy Centre. So that was uh, Gordon's. Um, he he'd he'd two wee shops, two wee kind of stalls, basically, and that's how Fop began. So I, I worked in there because my pal worked in there as well, and um, I worked in there for a year, and then I travelled around Europe interrailing. Um, and then when I came back, um, I met a bunch of kind of kids from Hamilton Blantyre, and I started an indie band with them. Um, that seemed to be that that kind of out that way seemed to be where all the indie bands were coming from in the eighties, mm-hmm. apart from Orange Juice and Aztec Camera. But um, um, and then we were lucky enough. I mean, when I left school, I wanted to start a band anyway. That's all. That's all I wanted to do, really. You know. So at the time, there wasn't any courses or anything like that to sort of you know you could sort of learn about the business or you know the technicalities of it or publishing or anything like that. So. Um, the 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 thing you did then was uh, you just kind of had a dream and just kind of went for it. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, so we were lucky enough to get signed to a subsidiary of Virgin Records. So that was I was eighteen or something at the time. So, I mean, every Tom Dick and Harry was getting signed at that time. <laughs> though, do you know what I mean? Because Scotland receives the the kind of epicenter of indie music just about. You know, so uh, as I say, with bands like Orange Juice and Aztec Card Postcard Records and all that, and then Edinburgh was kind of fizzing with set of talent as well. You know, so. Um, um, and then um, that band went on for about three years or something like that, and then uh, that split up. And then I went on and started a hip hop group, bizarrely enough, and um, the first sort of Scottish hip hop group um, called Crack, <laughs> <laughs> um, which were a kind of semi comedy, kind of Beastie Boysy, kind of sort of with Glasgow accents kind of sort of band you know what I mean so in fact we supported the Beastie Boys in the first tour of the UK oh, yeah. uh, the, the infamous Barrowlands gig where they get bottled and Liverpool where the riot started <laughs> and we were we were the support band so we we got the brunt of it so we were like we get bottled and all that sort of, uh, after so it was chaos so crazy times basically you know so then um, after crack I mean again we nearly get signed a major record deal we were um we were managed by Lloyd Cole and the commotions manager, Derek McKillop. Um, and um, he was on the verge of getting us like a hundred grand at the time, a hundred grand to a major record deal. So that, um, but it didn't quite happen, you know, because I think everyone was scared of the the kind of the publicity that that, that hip hop was getting at that time with the Beastie Boys and all that. So um and so then after that, I mean played in loads of bands, a band called Giant. So I played guitar and um toured, toured around with them. And and then I started to get into. I mean, I was always into kind of experimenting, obviously with the hip hop thing, electronic music. Um, so I started to get into sort of more kind of things like Detroit techno and Chicago house, and then the whole acid house kind of revolution thing happened. And uh, you know that was a kind of exciting times, you know. So we were really influenced by all the stuff that was coming out in America. 
Um, and then, so we, and we were, I was always recording and making music and all that. So um, my mate had a, had a recording studio in the West End and um, we, um, we just started messing about, basically. Um, and that was the guy I was in track with, actually. Um, so, um, um, and then we met, so Dave, Stuart and Ord had, they, they worked in pubs and stuff around, so that's Slam, and they, they worked in a pub around the corner called Jimmy Jungas from where, where our studio was in Bar- um, Ortega Street. And um, so we kind of met them, and they were running clubs, so we'd go to other clubs and all that, and then it was just a natural progression into, right, let's make a record together, and... You know, and then we did that. We spent we spent about a year kind of putting, doing tunes and all that to find our feet, you know. So, um, and then we did hop that around sort of um, record companies in London, but no one was biting, so we just decided to do it ourselves. So the main thing, starting Soma, going on to your next question, was probably like, you know, we just had to put our own record out ourselves, you know what I mean? Because nobody else was that interested. But luckily enough, we we did the turn up on one side that was Slam Eterna and IBO by Rejuvenation, which is the band I was in. Um, and uh, Pete Tong picked up on it in Radio One. So, you know, I mean, these things are pure luck, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's like you can do your best, but, you know, it's like it's just sometimes you just get something happens and it causes a kind of domino effect and stuff like that. So, I mean, that really set us off. But at the same time, you know, um, there weren't, there weren't, there was, kind of a couple of acid house nights with some raves and all that but it wasn't loads happening in Scotland you know what I mean it was kind of like the back the backwater of, of the scene for you know a few years until things built up you know I had no idea I had no idea you were in sort of indie band at the start and, and also the hip hop thing I had no idea that was going on either that's interesting that's yeah 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 I mean I was really kind of always influenced by kind of music from America do you know what I mean even mm-hmm. going back to like the 70s even the 60s like the Velvet Underground and all that do you know what I mean so yeah. you know always looking to America for for kind of um you know to you know the, I mean I think America was really innovative in the in the 80s and stuff like that with hip-hop and mm-hmm. you know sampling and stuff like that yeah. so that I'm always interested in kind of pushing things forward do you know what I mean it wasn't about sort of sitting about and going, oh yeah, I'm an indie kid. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's just like, you know, sort of. I mean, there's two arguments in it. You stick to your guns and you you, you love what you love, or or you, you 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 know. For me, if I listen to the same type of music, I'm same now. I'll, I'll still listen to indie music, mm-hmm. and I'll still listen to stuff from the sixties and seventies and eighties. But I'm also like pushing the boundaries forward now with you know the the, the new productions that are coming out now you know so it's, sure. it's it, you've got it's boring otherwise you know what I mean I yeah. think you know music's sort of wages I think most people are like that these days as well I mean I I you might get your your kind of techno Nazis but you know secretly they'll probably listen to a bit of ambient music in the, when they're in the house you know what I mean yeah. I think it's much easier now to access it anyway, so I think that helps. Exactly, you know? exactly. So you're on Spotify or whatever, and like you can, you've got the world at your fingertips. You know, you yeah. didn't have to go out and search through thousands of records like we used to do to try and find right. something that you really liked. You know, so that kind of happened organically then. So it wasn't. You didn't just yeah. say like we're going to set up a label today. That was it. You know, it just that happened. Well, it kind of happened slowly and organically. You know, um, and and we were just quite lucky. As I say, the Pete Tom picked up on our first record, and then we signed uh, Dove or One Dove, as they became known, with Dot Allison and uh, Jim McKinvin. Um And they that record went on after that. That was uh, Soma Three, I think. And then that record went 
went on to become a hit actually, but we signed they signed on to Virgin and bought the rights off us kind of thing, but they ended up on top of the pops and all that. So there was a kind of and then you know, we released Soma 008, which was Slam Positive Education um, in 1994. And then, um, you know, that, that we went to Ibiza and promoted that. Me and Stuart went to Ibiza and uh, lost the plot. But we took loads of, loads of copies of Positive Education and gave them to DJs like Darren Emerson, Billy Nasty, um, uh, the guys from left field and that year there was loads of mellow music so mm-hmm. positive education was quite banging so they were all ah, this is brilliant so they were playing it like three times in their set because there was everything else was really mellow do you know what i mean so right. that that really helped us um with that record as well and um and then that moved on to something later that i'll talk talk to you about so um and the logo who did the logo for you i love that logo <laughs> actually it was a plagiarist kind of um, well, it's a patchwork design. I actually started cutting out bits of paper, but the the kind of initial idea Stuart stole from a, a flyer from a club in Rimini. Right. So it was an Italo disco club that they wow. played at, and um, so it was like there was a which is so we kind of like. Uh, the similar similar kind of lettering so we we, we kind of we plagiarised and took it and made it our own <laughs> don't tell them I don't know if the, I don't like the club that exists anymore so that's amazing done for it that's amazing man and the <laughs> the Daft Punk story that you've told a million times no doubt what happened uh, um, so we were playing so Rejuvenation and Slam who were the the, the owners of the label at the time I mean it's just myself and Slam now but um we, um, we were playing at a festival outside Paris called Eurodance, and I think it was meant to be in the, the Disney, kind of Euro Disney uh, complex, but right. I think Euro Disney got wind of it, and then we're like, well, wait, what is this? It's a, it's a kind of rave kind of thing, so they, they they chucked that out, and then so the organisers had to find another field nearby to a farmer to, to let them use his fields to, to do, do the festival, so we did that, and then the next day, we um we'd met a, a a fanzine writer and he said, Look, I've got a couple of pals that are um young guys that are making techno and they would love to meet you, they love positive education. And um they wanted to so we next day we went into Paris and we went up to Montmartre, um, where uh, Thomas Bangleterre uh, stayed. And um we were up to this wee garret building up to the top floor and um, they played as a wee porter studio. So You remember the wee cassette, po- four tracks, porter Aye. studio things? Uh-huh. Um, and they pressed the button and bam, came out um, two absolutely banging kind of raw techno tracks. I mean, at that point, wow. uh, Daft Funk was just a kind of an idea in their heads, I think. So, yeah, so that was... Um, I think the tracks were New Wave and Assault. That was the first, the first two tracks that we that we released, and um, and then Defunk came a few months, about six, four, five months later. They started sending some more demos to us. So yeah, and then so we, we immediately were like, yeah, there's something here. So we we, we just offered to to release the stuff, you know. So just again, it's a bit of luck, you know. I mean, life life kind of throws you those ones now and again, you know, where you meet a couple of guys. Yeah, yeah, really like the stuff they're doing. Da, 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 da. Nobody can guess that you know that's going to go on and do, you know, make history and all that kind of stuff. You know, so absolutely, absolutely. 
what a, what a exciting story about finding that. Um, <laughs> and for you, like, I'm always amazed that these labels um, and even like you know agents and touring companies can can do this stuff early on when there wasn't email. Like, was all of this done by like phone and even fax phone and, and all that? Phone and fax, aye. In fact, wow. bizarrely enough, and snail mail and carrier pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> um, bizarrely enough, um, I was looking at some old contracts for somebody for an, an old artist recently, and uh, it's all faxes and all that. Signed contracts, fax, fax, fax. You know what I mean? So. Um, none of it was digitally. And I, I was looking at trying to find because we've obviously got loads of contracts saved digitally. But I could, this was like, you know, in the nineties sort of Aye. thing. Even you know, even then it was just kind of faxing, faxing it. Even you had computers, but it was like faxing was kind of still the thing, you know, to do the contracts. Imagine trying to organise a tour now like that, like well, I know using I know. a fax and a phone, like I know, mental, <laughs> right? I know. Then you'd be go, you go. Where are we meant to be going? Where's what's the you know, loads of paper, you know, just kind of mad. Incredible. And over the last, I'm right in thinking that it's 30 years, so much 30 years old. 30 years this year, yeah. yeah. Wow. So in those 30 years, what what are the biggest sort of milestones and learning learning things you've learned from it? Should have done it, shouldn't have done it in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, still learning new stuff every day, you know. It's mm. like, you know, we've had to change our business model so many times with the things that have changed over the years from, you know, the, the, the sort of digital download revolution, torrent sites, you know, things like, um, you know, the, the music industry wasn't prepared for Napster, LimeWire, SoulSeek, RapidShare and all that, do you know what I mean? So, you know, that whole thing, I mean, there was, there were innovative people trying to set up things like Spotify back then and, and Apple Music, do you know, and, um, but, you know, nobody quite had got it together and they didn't have the finance to do it globally, you know. So, um, I mean, we were working with people that were trying to set stuff like that up in the UK. But, um, so, yeah, from that um, to things like vinyl, because the bottom fell out of vinyl in the early 2000s when the whole kind of download thing happened. And then, you know, it's, it's obviously come back, you know, people say, oh, it's, a, you know, the, it, vinyl's selling amazing and all that these days. But, you know, re the reality is there's loads of small labels selling small amounts of vinyl, do you know what I mean? And it doesn't really make a profit unless, you know, it, yeah, you know, you need to still sell like 250 to 300 to break even kind of thing. I mean, back in the day, we were selling 10,000, 20,000, you know what I mean? Um, but, um and you could make a profit from that, but then you, you don't have the digital sales. But, um, you know, so again, you know, the vinyls come back because we had to stop it for a while because we were losing so much money on it. You know, we nearly went bankrupt three or four times. And, you know, you've just kind of, you know, you have to change the business model to, to sort of suit what's happening at that and at that time. And, and I'm sure other things will happen in the future as well that, you know, we'll have to change how we do things and stuff, you know. Um, so, so, yeah, always learning, always learning, always changing. I think even just we'll touch on that uh, the vinyl thing as well. Like I remember it happening, and it's, I was going to ask you later on about it, but I'll, I'll ask you now. But the the whole play it again, Sam, the PS thing. Like um, I imagine that's not a very easy thing to talk about. You quite lost quite a lot in that, didn't you? That big tragedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we freaked out at the at the at the, at the, be at the beginning. You know, we freaked out when it happened because the whole warehouse burned down. But you know. It, you know, the reality is, we, you know, we managed to claim, I don't know, what, whatever it was, 10, 15 grand insurance. And then we just started again, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, luckily at that point, there were, the, the, the digital sales were kind of 
there, and right. and so the so there was a kind of a kind of continuation of of a of a kind of source of income for the label. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean it was it was a bit crazy, but um, we you know we just started again and 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 repressed what we had to repress kind of thing. You know, um, it was a bigger a bigger shock for them obviously because they had to they, they had to rebuild whatever the warehouse or whatever and and get to get the whole operation back up and running. Just remember, you were one of the labels for me that I remember thinking about. Thinking that that entire back catalogue will be in there, and I was just like, "Aye." Yeah, I mean, where I am just now, this is you can see, you know, mm-hmm. this is <laughs> this is thirty years of uh, of vinyl all the way around. Wow! So, Incredible. Uh, this stock room come meeting room Man. in the office. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a few things that we don't have actually. There's a few things we've run out of. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. And the A and R side of what you do is do you still sort of go out and actively seek music, or does it often find you? I mean, we we, we go we we actively go out, but I mean, we don't go out. I mean, the, the slam guys are out DJing every weekend. Well, we're DJing out every weekend until uh, uh, COVID happened. Um, yeah. um, you know, they're booking loads of artists and all that for their events. Um, so, you know, as a label, some are kind of reasonably well known in in the scene. So. People generally come to us because I think it's a tick box for a lot of kind of producers and artists to have a re- release on Soma. So, I mean, generally we get a lot of st- most stuff sent to us. I mean, I get we got hundreds of demos sent every week. It's just like you have to, you know, we can't listen to all of them, but we try and have a quick listen to everything that comes in, just if it's just snippets and stuff, you know. But um, so we get sent loads of stuff, but we generally go out and find artists that we we, we want to sign to the label. Um, <coughs> I mean, clubbing-wise, I don't really go out that much anymore. I go out three or four times a year, and uh, that's a social. I mean, I don't go out to clubs to find, you know, an artist or whatever. It's easier to, easier to sort of listen to mixes, like, online and you know, SoundCloud or, or if sure. they're doing a stream or something like that, you know, and then you're, you're like, right, you know, his stuff or her stuff really suits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's let's see if we can get something from them, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And so how is your, well, how would you say your day-to-day then has changed for the last 30 years? Has it changed massively from what you were doing? I mean, as we were talking about earlier, a lot of stuff was physical. I mean, mm-hmm. although we do still go to the post office every day and send out vinyl <laughs> to, to for, you know, because we run our own shop, um, as well as we have distributors and all that. So we, um, so we still go to the post office and snail mail stuff to to Europe and the rest of the world, you know. Um, um, so, but back in the day, we would be going to the post office with like four boxes of records. I mean, now it's a bit less. If you were sending out promos and all that, I mean, so the whole the whole promo service is it's a lot easier to do digitally, you know. Um, so um, everything's a lot more organised. I think you know we're on a really tight ship. We put a lot more sort of EPs and uh, records out than we used to. Um, because um, there's so much more stuff out there as well. You mean so, so many more people making music, and there's lots of really good stuff out there. You know, mm-hmm. we need to be really kind of. I mean, I think we've got a core, a core kind of roster of about fifty artists, mm-hmm. um, and then we we usually sign three or four new artists every every year, maybe more than that. You know, so yeah. there's there's loads. In fact, maybe signed about. 15 new artists this year just just wow. putting out lots of various artists EPs and stuff like that you know so we're bringing out bringing you through new talent um so yeah I mean things are a lot you know 
a lot more organised, but a lot busier and a lot there's a lot more releases, you know. So And there's more things like I remember um Soma School, Soma Radio, the Soma Radio idea is new to me, I never knew about that, but Soma School I remember obviously being part of that through the music centre and yeah. when it was in the Arches and when it moved to City Halls. Yeah, so yeah. How did that come about? Tell us how that all came about. I mean, it was just, um, I think there was a festival the first year that um, it was a bit like ADE or kind of in the city. Was it in the city? I think it was. Did 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 one in Glasgow? It was. I think mm-hmm. it was Tony Wilson. And um, before they just had it in Manchester. After that, but they, I think they used to they used to go around the UK with it. Um, so that year we decided to do some sort of event to, to lock in within the city. So it was, I mean, it was just an idea of, you know, having an event to encourage young people to get into the creative industries, not just music industry. At, at the time, that was our idea. So, I mean, if, whether it was graphics, video, you know, um, even PR, you know, music, you know, lots of different elements to to the music and to the creative industry. So um, it was just that idea, basically. So, you know, we pulled that off. And then we ran it for a few years in the arches and then we did it. Did we do it two years in the, the, the um, mm-hmm. city halls? It was maybe one or one or two years in the city halls. Yeah. But then it fell away because the funding at um, um, the Arts Council kind of fell away. So, mm-hmm. you know, to do, to do it, you know what? It was we don't make any money from it, so it was like a you know it was a, almost a charity thing, and just yeah. sort of for the good for the good of the scene, you know. So yeah. and then we brought it back three four years ago now, um, um, and we've been doing it SWG three. So but we're specifically kind of aiming at people who want to get into the electronic music industry. So it's it's a bit more it's a bit tighter and a bit more defined. Um, uh, the the whole remit of it. So yeah. I mean, and we did a, we did an online one this year. Sorry, we did we, the last one we did in uh, March was was online, which was really good actually because we get people from all over the world kind of tuning in, you know. So totally, that's no stuff we've done online. I've noticed we get people from all over the world through Eventbrite as well. Yeah, it's mad, good. random people will join in. What's your thoughts on this sort of comparison between um, Detroit and Glasgow? One of the, the Stuart Cosgrove book I've, I've read, and there's also another book talks about you know it was Stuart that. Seemingly, we over interviewed the guys in Detroit. We sort of um, not coined the phrase, but used the phrase techno, talking about techno city. Like, what's uh-huh. your on the, do you know the, the sort of industry? I know, man. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think you could probably make a comparison with any kind of industrial city around the world. I mean, I used to think New York and Glasgow were quite similar. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it, like old New York, not not now corporate New York, if you know what I mean. Like maybe sixties and seventies and eighties New York, early eighties New York. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you could make that that kind of um, comparison with any kind of industrial type city where. The working classes, you know, have only a few options to escape the the, the drudgery of of their existence. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and music and maybe acting or or something like that is is mm-hmm. is one of those few options. You know, so yeah. um, I, th- I think those are the similarities. But I mean, there are you know the the kind of the eighteenth and nineteenth century sandstone kind of buildings are, are are quite similar in a way as well. So there's mm-hmm. a there's a kind of visual kind of similarity in that way as well. Um, I haven't read Stuart's book, which I've been meaning to do for years, but you know uh, I'll be interested because he's he's got lots of lots of interesting things to say. Mm-hmm. It's good, and the other one I read was the Bob Stanley book where they talk about um, public techno and you know the Chicago house thing as well, and they talk about these things, and it was the idea that. 
he was a journalist at the time and over he talked to two guys who released the Techno City track and it sort of phrase was coined there seemingly but it's interesting. There was a there definitely was affinities, you know, between the Detroit techno guys and Glasgow. Partly because I mean we we really got the music as well. I mean the underground resistance, etc. Just you know, Glasgow they'd play maybe London and then Glasgow because the guys at Rubber Dub were so into UR and Glasgow was so into techno that you know they 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 had a kind of they had. A, a kind of communication with them, you know, one to one. So it wasn't you didn't go through agents and all that sort of stuff. So they they definitely had there was an affinity there, you know. Yeah. Um, and the sort of the, the last year has obviously been challenging for different days. How has it sort of affected your your running the business and COVID? How's that affected you? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously everyone's kind of work, working from home mostly, but you know, we're getting back into the office now. We had to kind of cut the releases back to about fifty percent, you know. We just couldn't sort of do what we do, everyone being at home and all that and being part-time or whatever, you know, it's just kind of like, but, you know, things are picking up again, um, you know, we're just kind of, we've been lucky with, I mean, we've lost quite a lot of kind of download sales through kind of Beatport and things like that because DJs aren't going out um, and DJing and, at the weekends and, and that would be a, a, a kind of a good source of our income for because DJs would always want to refresh their their, their sets. Um, yeah. But luckily, you know, with things like Spotify, people sitting at home listening to more music. So there's been a wee uptick on that. So, you know, it, we've lost some and made some, but you know, it's kind of like you just soldier on, you know, we've we've managed to we've managed to kind of continue. We've we've not had to lay anybody off um from the from the company and um you know, we're we're kind of looking forward now. You know, so brilliant. Well, clearly resilient. If it's thirty years you've been rocking, do you know what I mean? I know, it's absolutely amazing. Um, stubborn, stubborn. Yeah, <laughs> uh, And if there's a couple of tunes, then if you were summing it up, I know a horrible question. If you were summing up the label for thirty years, but if you had to pick, what would you pick? Uh, oh, it's a tough one. That I mean, <laughs> obviously the classics like Slam Positive Education. You know, um, was a big record for us, and it still continues to be. I mean, it's been remixed so many times, or re-released so many times. Do you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, Daft Punk, Da Funk, which was like, which kind of catapulted our, our kind of label into the kind of general kind of public. You know, um, but things like you know, we we do, we don't just do kind of bang and techno stuff. We've got you know, a Detroit artist called Deep Chord, and and his stuff is like really kind of. I mean, dub techno is a kind of phrase that people kind of describe it but it's it's very kind of cerebral kind of uh, ambient techno um so I, I mean his stuff's really important to us like hash bar remnants album that we released is um is a, is a big one for, for us and he's he's got such a fan base that he just it, you know his fans they'll buy every format they'll buy the digital the vinyl the cd you know just to have it so that's a hand that's a handy artist to have on your label you know yeah, that's true <laughs> And any other artists we should look out for over the next year or so? Um, I, I mean, we've just signed a, a Russian artist called Namases. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had one EP out with us, um, really interesting stuff. And his second EP is coming out in July. So, uh, and a, with a remix from Vril, sort of, who's an artist that I really, really like. So, um, that's that's a kind of one that I think people should look out for. It's getting lots lots of press and lots of people are talking about it. So, um, and we've got a few big projects coming at the end of the year, one from Slam, one from Rebecca, um, and possibly an album next year from Deep Chord as well. So we've got 
we've got lots of big projects on the on the sort of bubble, so plenty <laughs> plenty of stuff to kind of look out for. Listen, Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with you. No problem, Keith. It's been great no catching problem. up with you. Thank you very much.